I know very little about this, but I know that like there's different impedance you can have on a microphone. It can be high or low, and like the equipment can be set up for one or the other, and it can be wrong. Literally no idea. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely no clue. I mostly just I just know like the words. Right. Right. <laughs> impedance, and it can be high and low, and it can be mismatched, and that's all I know. Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Rita in Stockholm. And this is Build Phase. How are you? <laughs> Good. I was uh, honestly asleep on the couch again. Uh-huh. This is, I feel like, like every like the... time I text you, you're <laughs> asleep on the couch. This is like the story of my vacation is that sure. I, when I can, fall asleep on the couch. Sure. Like, and oh, just... oh, I got a thing. All right. Yeah, thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I had just installed the latest iOS update on my phone. Yeah. Like I started that up and it was going. And so I hadn't yet punched in the passcode to mm-hmm. reactivate it after it wakes up again. And then I punched it in and it's like, bing. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. I forgot right. all about it. So, Have you locked the phone with the screen on yet? No. Take your. Do? T- do you have it on you? Yeah. And you're on the latest beta? No, no. I'm, I'm actually on iOS 9. Oh, I'm okay. Using, I'm, on, I'm not running beta. Oh. And in fact, I am so. I'm so much in vacation land that all I have is still the first Xcode developer preview <laughs> after WDC. I haven't I haven't updated even to the second one, nice. much less the third one. So I'm just there's the third one, right? Yeah, they, they just released it the other day. Yeah, see, I'm I'm two whole things behind. The That's new how beta hard. I'm vacationing. The new iOS 10 beta vibrates when you lock it. Mm-hmm which is just driving my brain absolutely crazy because every time I lock my phone now, I go, oh, I just missed something. And so then I open it back up and I'm like, there's nothing here. And then I lock it again and it vibrates on my hand. I'm like, what the hell? I just missed something again. What is happening? It took me forever to figure out what was going on. Nice. It's not my proudest moment. But weird that they add that little thing. As a feature, you know, At, seven years in. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> I mean, more than that, right? Eight years in, yeah. Nine years in, isn't it? Oh, maybe so. Yeah, 2000, 2007. 2007. Yeah, right. So it's been nine years, and they're like, you know what we need? We need <laughs> it to vibrate. It's like, what? When you lock what, it. A weird, <laughs> what a weird feature to add. Like, what a weird thing to decide nine years <laughs> after you invent the thing. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I don't know that I have anything particularly interesting to talk about. I have been uh, I've been working when I can a little bit on a game, playing around with some of the stuff I was talking about with like the uh, they have these in gameplay get there are these state machines and mm-hmm. and the entity component architecture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's pretty cool. It's nice because it actually it makes the controllers or the scene objects in this case like the game or the sprite kit scene class often ends up being kind of like a UI view controller class that it can tend to be a dumping ground for stuff like, Oh, yeah. everything's got to go in there. And now using with the entity component architecture stuff, instead there's very little there. Like all mm. there is, is when it wakes up, it creates some things and mm-hmm. then it's pretty much done. Or I guess I have to, there's a, the scene is still responsible for all of the input on the touchscreen. So those have to be sort of passed along. But like, mm-hmm. so I, I just implement those methods for like touches began and moved and ended and stuff. And I just pass those things along. 
Hmm. And that's it. So it's kind of nice. So each object in the game just kind of is doing its own stuff and needs and is, you know, getting update calls and is aware of what it needs to be aware of. And uh, so far it's going pretty well. What I'm doing is at this point it's basically a simple sort of breakout style game, which I'm sure if you like, if you look at my code compared to someone who wrote breakout 40 <laughs> years ago, right. it's like, wow, this is a lot of really weird complexity and indirection and stuff that is abstracted away instead of being direct, which is for a simple game is maybe not what you want. Like, right. it, like in a different environment, in a procedural environment, I could write this thing in a much simpler way. But it's kind of nice to have something that is a, a fairly simple, well-understood task and use yeah. that as a way to explore these new things in the framework. So That whole thing is something that I think I constantly struggle with. I feel like I've said some of this before, but putting myself in a position where doing things what I consider to be the right way with scare mm-hmm. quotes around it is much more time consuming and much more complicated than what I would see as being the wrong way with scare quotes around it. Right. right. Like, you know, things like the kind of common example I always end up with is like, okay, well, I've got a list of objects and I tap into that list and I perform an action on, you know, so now I'm at the detail and I perform an action. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have a list of things and then I tap into one of those things and I like it. Mm-hmm. Right. On the detail screen. Right. Well, now I need to tell the list screen that I liked that thing. Right. So that it can update its UI. Sure. Fairly simple thing, fairly common pattern. But how do you do that? Well, Hmm. right. What's the best way to do that? You could rely on mutation, right? Which I've definitely done before Mm -hmm. where I say, oh, well, this thing in the main list is actually the same thing as the thing in the detail screen. So I'm just going to flip a Boolean on the thing in the detail screen and then trigger it with KVO or right. reactive cocoa or something in the main screen to f- when that thing changes, update the UI for that cell. Right. But that feels weird, right? Cause now you're relying on the mutation of an, some global state. Yeah. Because we'd like to not have global state we're dealing with, or at least not, think about it we like to be able to treat each part of the thing each part of the app as if it is a discrete unit existing on its own that doesn't need to know about other stuff and then when you when it, so whenever you're using kvo or whatever you you're relying on things that are kind of working behind the back of or in spite of all the view controllers and things you've set up which is a little bit uh i don't know i mean i understand what you're saying i think I, i'm pretty used to it i'm kind of used to that trade-off because i've been doing it for so long but there is a thing where it's like you have these things happening that are outside of anybody's direct control in a way, or it's indirect in a way that is not obvious. And this is probably why a lot of people who are new to that get KVO so very, very wrong the first time they try it and it scares people off of it. Right. Because it is kind of weird. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think really just general, generally trying to figure out... For that thing specifically, I feel like there were times with that where I would Mm -hmm. say, if I just did this in the sloppiest way, right? If I didn't care about 
architecture or testing or encapsulation, like it would just be so much easier to write this as like a massive view controller. Like why are massive view controllers so prevalent in our community? It's because they're way easier to write than yeah. proper architecture, right? Yep. Yeah, it's easy to have this sort of one spot where you can just kind of dump everything. And when you're moving fast and you know what you want to do, you know what you want to accomplish, and you're not going to worry about, you're not thinking too much about the future, it's easy to just sort of stuff it all in there. Right. But then you revisit it six months later or a year later or two years later, and it's like, oh my God, how am I going to add this new functionality in here? How am I going to adapt this to what the new use cases are? Right, right. So that's sort of why... I am using something simple like a breakout game as a test bed for mm-hmm. ending component architecture and for the uh, state machines. It's just as a way to sort of have something simple. Like I know that I could do it in other ways without messing around and, and doing it. But like, but like I want to be able to try out these technologies in a way that is not going to be a huge time investment. I'm not going to have to spend hundred hours to get something working mm-hmm. and the difference being that i can maybe get a simple breakout game working in an hour or two just being kind of dumb and straightforward about it or it might take four or eight hours because i'm doing some new things i haven't tried and i have to create more stuff around it but like my thinking is that at the end of the day it'll make it easier to extend that so i can go beyond my starting point by adapting things that are all sort of that already are kind of self-contained and encapsulated in a nice way. So I don't have to, if I want to add whole new ways that the game operates, I can probably do that without even touching the scene controller almost at all. Right. And that would be the hope in kind of any good architecture is that when you add new functionality, you don't need to touch the existing functionality. Right. Single responsibility principle. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So anyways, it's interesting, and it's working out so far. That's cool. At some point when I have this a little more nearer to done, I will, I'll put it on GitHub just to show it to anyone who's interested. So that's cool. It's kind of, it's kind of fun, a fun exercise to do that sort of thing. Yeah. I never did install pits of death on my phone. (laughs) Like I said, I would. Yeah. And I still have not upgraded my, my watch myself, (laughs) like I said, because again, (laughs) I'm in hardcore vacation mode. Right. One of these days I'll get to it. And actually, I need to update that app for sure anyway, because it's still, like I said, it's still a watchOS one app. Yeah, that's crazy. So it still runs on your phone instead of actually running on the watch. Mm-hmm. What else is going on? Not much over here. What are you working on these days? I have no idea. Working on kind of a shopping app thing. It's a fairly quick time frame project. Mm-hmm. They have some image recognition stuff that's cool, but we're not dealing with it, right? We just take images on the phone and send them to an API and they get results back. Like, Okay. So we're not really dealing with much of that stuff. It's a pretty straightforward little app. It's just pretty big and like a really short time frame, like six weeks. So we're just cranking on it. Mm. Um, and there's like three of us on it, which is interesting. And then on the side, like I, I talked to, I think I spent most of the last episode talking to Mark about my Xcode plugin mm-hmm. or my Vim plugin for Xcode that wraps right. Xcode build. I don't 
think I've made too much progress on that in the past week. I think I like I'm trying to figure out the LLDB side of things. Like when I run an app in the simulator, I want to get an LLDB session running alongside it with all right. the output. So the one thing about this plugin that's been really fun is like learning how all of these command line tools work, right? Learning much more about how Xcode build works and then now learning more about how LLDB works, the command line tool. So that's been fun. But not a whole lot's been going on there. Really not that much interesting stuff. Yeah, I think um like I've been sort of trying to follow at least what's going on a little bit in like the Swift Evolution stuff new things mm-hmm. happening a little bit but i feel like overall now that it's been a little over a month since wwdc mm-hmm. and i've had time to digest a lot of what is what was announced there mm-hmm. i feel like it's a lot of it's stuff that is kind of nice to have but there's not much there that came out that is truly sort of really game-changing right or exciting <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's just like like it's stuff that's like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of cool. I could maybe use that someday, but it's not, you know. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm in generally kind of a weird spot with iOS development in general, and and also Swift, where I'm kind of like, yeah, all this is fine. I'm not particularly excited about any of this. None of this is like. It's been a really long time since there was something that made me say like, ooh, I have to go play with that. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. I think the the one thing I am like moderately excited about is Swift Package Manager being released, but it's been such a in such a weird state of flux where like every time I look at it, everything is different, or at least my perception is that things are different. Right. And I'm never really clear on if it's worth my time investing in package structure or anything because I'm worried about things changing. And I think that they should be changing, right? Like all right. this stuff should be ironed out now. But like as a library maintainer, I'm very hesitant to double down on Swift package manager stuff and like get it set up for Argo, for example. It has right. no Swift package manager support, which sucks. And I, I want to have Swift package manager support for Argo. But every time I've looked at it, I've been like, well, but it's a lot of work to get it set up for Swift package manager. And if that changes, if Swift package manager changes, then I'm going to be, I'm going to have wasted my time, you know? Yeah. And I think also the amount of other sorts of pain that you and Tony have gone through with Argo anyway, with the compiler and everything, you know, starting from Swift 1.0 and all the stuff that's changed since then, like, it's just like a whole other layer of complexity of things to be changing every second week. Right. I do have a bit of a complex about it where you ever read um, Pragmatic Programmer? I th- I'm i trying to think. If I did, it was like a long, long time ago when it was new. So I'm not really sure if I did. It's a great book. But there's this one section that I constantly think about. I think it's titled Select is Not Broken. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was about like this, you know, his uh, manager who was positive that select in SQL, all caps select, that he was positive that there was a bug in select and that select was broken. And so he was going to go through all this workaround to work around the fact that select was broken. And it's just like... Like in a particular database implementation or just conceptually, generally, that there was something wrong No, like in, I think, MySQL 
or something okay that select itself <laughs> that command <laughs> was fundamentally broken and it's like no and this clear. manager was the first to notice exactly exactly <laughs> so that's the whole point of this it's like the odds of your tools being broken and you finding the out that your tools are broken the odds of you finding that out are essentially zero right select right. is not broken for you it has been around for a very long time you are clearly just using it incorrectly right right it's your understanding <laughs> of select that's broken so that was like a big part of the thing right is like you need to learn to trust your tools you need to be more humble about your own abilities and like if something happens your default assumption should not be that your tools are broken your default right. assumption should be that you are using those tools incorrectly and i don't know if it's something about having been involved with swift from the early betas and especially doing something as complex in, as Argo being as involved as I have been with Argo, which is very complex and has always pushed the Swift compiler to its limits and mm. did actually expose some bugs in, or in runes did runes actually did too. Right. But like both those things, they expose bugs in, in weird places like function currying and nil co or not nil coalescing optional coalescing, like the automatic mm -hmm. promotion to optional objects. Right. And partial application. Not that we were the first people to find these bugs. I don't think, but there were bugs that we were able to file that or that we were asked to file because of some of the things that we ran into in Argo right, and runes and all the related projects there. But something about that experience put my brain in a weird spot where I know pragmatically I should be trusting Swift and that when something breaks, it is me and my fault and not a bug in Swift. Right. Right. But I still find myself making that. Yeah. Logical fallacy. Right. Right. Swift package manager is a great example of that where I was sitting here going like, well, Swift package manager can't build Argo. And I just kept trying and trying and trying. And I kept setting it up in different ways. And I did like three or four different branches. And it was like, it always just threw up, you know, it just wouldn't, it would not build consistently. Mm -hmm. I could never get it to build. And you know, once the betas the Xcode 8 betas came out and the Swift 3.0 betas came out. I was like, well, I need to really lock this down and start making sure that this is going to work with Argo. And so I tried building it again, still didn't work, still couldn't hmm. get it to work. And it was throwing weird errors that I didn't understand. And so I complained about it on Twitter and filed a bug because I was like, Swift package manager can't build Argo. This is ridiculous. And of course it was just like, oh, you're using the wrong Xcode tool chain. No. Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> shit. Like, that's, you know what I mean? But I don't know why I do that. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is about. It's something about Swift specifically. I don't know if it's just. Well, I think there's a, there's a, a tendency among programmers to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. like, like you said, like, you shouldn't blame the tools, but there's a tendency to do it because you get, you get blinded and you think, okay, I know I've been staring at this thing for eight hours right. and like, I know I'm not wrong, but you're wrong anyway. And the fact is that, again, the thing with the Swift in the early days, there was a lot that was wrong. That, like you said, right. you did, you did right. spot a lot of, you were, you know, you and Tony were among the first to hit a lot of these things. So maybe it's pumped up your sense that 
there is something wrong with the tools. Right. You know, it drives me crazy. It drives me absolutely crazy though. Cause like when I run into these same kind of errors in Haskell, for example, my assumption is not, Oh, Haskell's broken. My assumption right. is like, I have no idea what I'm doing because that's the actual <laughs> reality. Right. And like, sure. The reality of Swift is very similar. Like I just kind of don't know what I'm doing. Most of my day, I kind of have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just like typing crap into <laughs> a, on a keyboard and hitting build somewhere and going like, I don't know. I hope that works. Like we'll find out in a second. I think also it's, it's probably though the, the relative newness of Swift compared to Haskell. Yeah. Haskell's been around for years. Yeah, yeah. And so there's an assumption that you that it probably works. And like even when I, you know, on the rare times that I have to delve into Java or something and I find all this weird stuff, like my assumption is always, okay, I'm just not doing this right. right. You know, right. I've got the wrong version. I'm using the wrong set of classes for this thing because those are, you know, deprecated 15 years ago, but they're still there or whatever. Like and I just don't know because I'm not I'm not in the environment. Right. But with but with Swift it is still it's thing that everything is so new that it's easy to think that, well, okay, geez, maybe just, you know, maybe no one has really hit this particular thing this particular way. And here I go. So it's easy to to think that it's wrong. Yeah. My favorite one of those kind of like select is broken moments for myself was getting to be about four years ago when I just started here at Thoughtbot. I remember running into the situation where I wrote all this stuff out. I think I was actually doing a Ruby motion project. It must have been my first project, and I was doing a Ruby motion project. And so I'm writing in Ruby motion. And I wrote this thing out and I was trying to do something with cell selection and it wasn't working the way I thought it was supposed to. And I had written out, you know, all the delegate methods and something wasn't working right. And so I went through and like added log statements to everything so I could tell exactly because I, I didn't know how to use a debugger in Ruby motion at that point. Right. So mm-hmm. like I still don't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I, I didn't know how, if I could set breakpoints or anything. So I went through and set like print statements all over the place. And I said, you know, okay, here's, this is cell will select cell did select cell Mm -hmm. will deselect cell did deselect, right? All four of those, I had them in the implementation and I logged all four of them to the console. And I was like, bam, there, there it is. There's proof that cell did select was getting called only the second time you selected a cell. So if I selected a cell, Mm -hmm. It wasn't calling cell did select. And then I selected another cell and then it called cell did select mm-hmm. and then would call. But it was only, it was like off by one. And I was like, what is happening? I was like positive that this was broken. And then I think I was talking to Mark about it and he sent me a link to a Stack Overflow question that he asked earlier. Not, I don't know. It was some time before that. But it was, it was he, it was a stack overflow question from Mark where he had the same problem. And the answer was, did you implement did deselect instead of did select? (laughs) Right. But like I got myself in this really bad place where I was only looking at the log statements and I wrote the log statements out. Right. And so, so I'm going like, see, it says did select right there. But it was actually, it was actually, but the method itself had auto completed to did deselect and sure. it just messed yeah. me up for hours <laughs> because I was, because I was absolutely positive that I was doing everything right and that, you know, UI kit was doing something really weird here. Right. I might have found a bug in UI kit. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. I've had a few of those where I've like implemented, uh, in a view controller 
view will appear and then i call super view did appear or something right like, <laughs> right i've had a few of those as well it's like and you and you can't see it really like you get it in your head and the same thing you log it and it's like well what, what the hell why is it being called you know what in especially because that case you're calling something else and, and everything will get totally weird like it doesn't right. nothing's going to work the way you expect it to work right and it takes forever to spot that sort of thing but it was that's pretty funny that you, that that Mark had the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of affirming to have that. <laughs> but I ran into one yesterday where I we have a custom matcher inside our project, a custom nimble matcher, mm-hmm. where you say like expect this request to have this JSON payload. Right, right, and so it basically takes both sides. So it takes an NSURL request on in the expect thing, and then pulls the body and transforms it into data and then mm-hmm. parses that as with NSJSON serialization, casts it to an NS dictionary, that kind of a thing. Right. And then takes a basically I think it takes in any object in the expect anyway, basically what it ends up doing is using double equals in Swift. So is mm-hmm. equal to right. in Objective C, but it does that on two NS dictionary instances. And then if those are not the same, it prints out the result, right? So I do that. I set it all up and it's failing. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm looking at it and they look exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's like expected to get foobarbaz, got foobarbaz. Exactly right. the same. Except for that. So I'm like looking and looking and looking and looking and looking. And I'm like showing people in Slack. I'm like, what is going I don't understand. Like I'm reformatting the error message so that they line up correctly and everything. And it turns out that in one of them I was using numbers and in the other one I was using strings, numbers as strings, mm. right? So in one I had the number one and the other one I had the string one. And when NS dictionary prints out its contents, it just removes quotes. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is like, but again, just wasted probably 20 minutes going like, what is happening here? And like looking at like, is my matcher code wrong? Like this is working in this other project. I don't understand how I could have messed this up this badly. Like right. trying to tr- trace through stuff. No. Strings. This uh, programming thing. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, it never really gets, it never really gets as straightforward as you think it ought to be. I feel like for every, yeah, it, for every advance, advance that we do in terms of, you know, new language features that will do more new cool stuff for us, we also add so much more complexity. They're just new ways to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else to talk about. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I really just, I'm, I'm ready to go back to bed. So. <laughs> okay. You want to wrap it up? <laughs> sure. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 101. And you can get to us by email at hosts at buildphase.fm and reach out to us on Twitter at buildphase. And, uh, of course, look for us. Well, if you're not already sub- if you're already listening, you probably are subscribed. If you're not subscribed, <laughs> go subscribe. And while you're subscribing, give us a five-star review. That's what, we, that's what this high-quality thing deserves on iTunes. Or Stitcher. <laughs> You're probably using Stitcher, aren't you? I bet you are. Do people use Stitcher? Is that a thing <laughs> I, that people use? I don't know. I think somebody does. Probably none of if our you're, listeners. If you're using Stitcher, I want to hear from you, and I want to hear why you're using Stitcher. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Good. We did, did it. Did we get all the critical information? <laughs> Good. All right. Thanks. All right, man. Talk I'll next talk time. to you.